Chapter 38 of Ten Years Later. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Neeland. Ten Years Later by Alexandra Dumas. What was caught after the butterflies? The two young people remained for a moment with their heads bent down, bowed, as it were, beneath the double thought of the love which was springing up in their hearts, and which gives birth to so many happy fancies in the imaginations of twenty years of age. Henrietta gave a side glance from time to time at the king. Hers was one of those finely organized natures capable of looking inwardly at itself, as well as at others at the same moment. She perceived love lying at the bottom of Louis's heart, as a skillful diver sees a pearl at the bottom of the sea. She knew Luis was hesitating, if not in doubt, and that his indolent or timid heart required aid and encouragement. And so, she said, interrogatively, breaking the silence. What do you mean, inquired Luis, after a moment's pause? I mean that I shall be obliged to return to the resolution I had formed. To what resolution? To that which I have already submitted to your majesty. When? On the very day we had a certain explanation about Monsieur's jealousies. What did you say to me, then? inquired Louise with some anxiety. Do you not remember, sire? Alas, if it be another cause of unhappiness, I shall recollect it soon enough. A cause of unhappiness for myself alone, sire, replied Madame Henrietta, but as it is necessary, I must submit to it. At least tell me what it is, said the king. Absence. Still that unkind resolve? Believe me, sire, I have not found it without a violent struggle with myself. It is absolutely necessary I should return to England. Never, never will I permit you to leave France, exclaimed the king. And yet, sire, said madame, affecting a gentle yet sorrowful determination, nothing is more urgently necessary. Nay, more than that, I am persuaded it is your mother's desire I should do so. Desire, exclaimed the king, that is a very strange expression to use to me. Still, replied madame Henrietta, smilingly, are you not happy in submitting to the wishes of so good a mother? Enough, I implore you. You rend my very soul. I? Yes, for you speak of your departure with tranquility. I was not born for happiness, sire, replied the princess dejectedly, and I acquired in very early life the habit of seeing my dearest wishes disappointed. Do you speak truly, said the king? Would your departure gainsay any one of your cherished thoughts? If I were to say, yes, would you begin to take your misfortune patiently? How cruel you are! Take care, sire. Someone is coming. The king looked all around him and said, no, there is no one, and then continued, come, Henrietta, instead of trying to contend against Monsieur's jealousy by a departure which would kill me, Henrietta slightly shrugged her shoulders like a woman unconvinced. Yes, repeated Louise, which would kill me, I say. Instead of fixing your mind on this departure, does not your imagination, or rather does not your heart, suggest some expedient? What is it you wish my heart to suggest? Tell me, how can one prove to another that it is wrong to be jealous? In the first place, sire, by giving no motive for jealousy. In other words, in loving no one but the person in question. Oh, I expected more than that. What did you expect? That you would simply tell me that jealous people are pacified 
by concealing the affection which is entertained for the object of jealousy. Dissimulation is difficult, sire. Yet it is only by means of conquering difficulties that any happiness is attained. As far as I am concerned, I swear I will give the lie to those who are jealous of me by pretending to treat you like any other woman. A bad as well as unsafe means, said the young princess, shaking her pretty head. You seem to think everything bad, dear Henrietta, said Louise, discontentedly. You negative everything I propose. Suggest at least something else in its stead. Come, try and think. I trust implicitly to a woman's invention. Do you invent in your turn? Well, sire, I have hit upon something. Will you listen to it? Can you ask me? You speak of a matter of life and death to me, and then ask if I will listen. Well, I judge of it by my own case. If my husband intended to put me on the wrong scent with regard to another woman, one thing would reassure me more than anything else. What would that be? In the first place, to see that he never took any notice of the woman in question. Exactly. That is precisely what I said just now. Very well. But in order to be perfectly reassured on the subject, I should like to see him occupy himself with someone else. Ah, I understand you, replied Louise, smiling. But confess, dear Henrietta, if the means is at least ingenious, it is hardly charitable. Why so? In curing the dread of a wound in a jealous person's mind, you inflict one upon the heart. His fear ceases, it is true, but the evil still exists, and that seems to me to be far worse. Agreed. But he does not detect, he does not suspect the real enemy. He does no prejudice to love itself. He concentrates all his strength on the side where his strength will do no injury to anything or any one. In a word, sire, my plan, which I confess I am surprised to find you dispute, is mischievous to jealous people, it is true, but to lovers it is full of advantage. Besides, let me ask, sire, who, except yourself, has ever thought of pitying jealous people? Are they not a melancholy crew of grumblers always equally unhappy, whether with or without a cause? You may remove that cause, but you never can remove their sufferings. It is a disease which lies in the imagination, and like all imaginary disorders, it is incurable. By the by, I remember an aphorism upon this subject, of poor Dr. Dolly, a clever and amusing man, who, had it not been for my brother, who could not do without him, I should have with me now. He used to say, Whenever you are likely to suffer from two affections, choose that which will give you the least trouble, and I will allow you to retain it, for it is positive, he said, that that very ailment is of the greatest service to me, in order to enable me to get rid of the other. Well and judiciously remarked, Henrietta, replied the king, smiling. Oh, we have some clever people in London, sire. And those clever people produce adorable pupils. I will grant this daily, darly, dolly, or whatever you call him, a pension for his aphorism. But I entreat you, Henrietta, to begin by choosing the least of your evils. You do not answer. You smile. I guess that the least of your bugbears is your stay in France. I will allow you to retain this information, and, in order to begin with the cure of the other, 
I will this very day begin to look out for a subject which shall divert the attention of the jealous members of either sex who persecute us both. Hush! This time someone is really coming, said Madame. And she stooped to gather a flower from the thick grass at her feet. Someone, in fact, was approaching, for suddenly a bevy of young girls ran down from the top of the hillock, following the cavaliers, the cause of this interruption being a magnificent hawk moth, with wings like rose leaves. The prey in question had fallen into the net of Mademoiselle de Donnay Charant, who displayed it with some pride to her less successful rivals. The queen of the chase had seated herself some twenty paces from the bank on which Louise and Madame Henrietta were reclining, and leaned her back against a magnificent oak tree, entwined with ivy, and stuck the butterfly on the long cane she carried in her hand. Mademoiselle de Tonnay Charant was very beautiful, and the gentleman, accordingly, deserted her companions, and under the pretext of complimenting her upon her success, pressed in a circle around her. The king and princess looked gloomily at this scene, as spectators of maturer age look on at the games of little children. They seem to be amusing themselves there, said the king. Greatly, sire, I have always found that people are amused wherever youth and beauty are to be found. What do you think of Mademoiselle de Tonnay-Charente, Henrietta? inquired the king. I think she has rather too much flax-yellow and lily-whiteness in her complexion, replied Madame, fixing in a moment upon the only fault it was possible to find in the almost perfect beauty of the future Madame de Montespan. Rather too fair, yes, but beautiful, I think, in spite of that. Is that your opinion, sire? Yes, really. Very well, and it is mine, too. And she seems to be much sought after. On that is a matter of course. Lovers flutter from one to another. If we had hunted for lovers instead of butterflies, you can see, from those who surround her, what successful sport we should have had. Tell me, Henrietta, what would be said if the king were to make himself one of those lovers and let his glance fall in that direction? Would someone else be jealous in such a case? Oh, sire, Mademoiselle de Tonnay-Chéant is a very efficacious remedy said madame with a sigh she would cure a jealous man certainly but she might possibly make a woman jealous too henrietta exclaimed louise you fill my heart with joy yes yes mademoiselle de tonnay-charente is far too beautiful to serve as a cloak a king's cloak said madame henrietta smiling ought to be beautiful do you advise me to do it then inquired louise i what should I say, sire, except that to give such an advice would be to supply arms against myself? It would be folly or pride to advise you to take, for the heroine of an assumed affection, a woman more beautiful than the one for whom you pretend to feel real regard. The king tried to take Madame's hand in his own. His eyes sought hers, and then he murmured a few words so full of tenderness, but pronounced in so low a tone, that the historian who ought to hear everything, could not hear them. Then, speaking aloud, he said, Do you yourself choose for me the one who is to cure our jealous friend? To her, then, all my devotion, all my attention, all the time that I can spare from my occupation shall be devoted. For her shall be the flower that I may pluck for you, the fond thoughts with which you have inspired me. Towards her I will direct the glance I dare not bestow upon you, 
and which ought to be able to rouse you from your indifference. But be careful in your selection, lest, in offering her the rose which I may have plucked, I find myself conquered by you, and my looks, my hand, my lips turn immediately towards you, even were the whole world to guess my secret. While these words escaped from the king's lips in a stream of wild affection, Madame blushed, breathless, happy, proud, almost intoxicated with delight. She could find nothing to say in reply. Her pride and her thirst for homage were satisfied. I shall fail, she said, raising her beautiful black eyes, but not as you beg me, for all this incense which you wish to burn on the altar of another divinity. Ah, sire, I too shall be jealous of it, and want restored to me, and would not that a particle of it should be lost in the way. Therefore, sire, with your royal permission, I will choose one who shall appear to me the least likely to distract your attention, and who will leave my image intact and unshadowed in your heart. Happily for me, said the king, your heart is not hard and unfeeling. If it were so, I should be alarmed at the threat you hold out. Precautions were taken on this point, and around you, as around myself, it would be difficult to meet with a disagreeable-looking face. Whilst the king was speaking, Madame had risen from her seat, looked around the greensward, and after a careful and silent examination, she called the king to her side, and said, See yonder, sire, upon the declivity of that little hill, near that group of gelder roses, that beautiful girl walking alone, her head down, her arms hanging by her side, with her eyes fixed upon the flowers which she crushes beneath her feet, like one who is lost in thought. Mademoiselle de Valier, do you mean? remarked the king. Yes. Oh! Will she not suit you, sire? Why, look how thin the poor child is! She has hardly any flesh upon her bones. Nay, am I stout, then? She is so melancholy. The greater contrast to myself, who am accused of being too lively. She is lame. Do you really think so? No doubt of it. Look, she has allowed every one to pass by her, through fear of her defect being remarked. Well, she will not run as fast as Daphne, and will not be as able to escape Apollo. Henrietta, said the king, out of temper, of all your maids of honor, you have really selected for me the one most full of defects. Still, she is one of my maids of honor. Of course. But what do you mean? I mean that, in order to visit this new divinity, you will not be able to do so without paying a visit to my apartments, and that, as propriety will forbid your conversing with her in private, you will be compelled to see her in my circle, to speak, as it were, at me, while speaking to her. I mean, in fact, that those who may be jealous will be wrong if they suppose you come to my apartments for my sake, since you will go there for Mademoiselle de la Valier. Who happens to be lame? Hardly that. Who never opens her lips, but who, when she does open them, displays a beautiful set of teeth. Who may serve as a model for an osteologist. Your favor will change her appearance. Henrietta, at all events you allowed me to choose. Alas, yes. Well, my choice is made. I impose her upon you, and you must submit. Oh, I would accept one of the Furies, if you were to insist upon it. Lavalier is as gentle as a lamb. Do not fear she will ever contradict you when you tell her you love her, said Madame, laughing. You are not afraid, are you, that I shall say too much to her? 
it would be for my sake. The treaties agreed to then, not only so, but signed. You will continue to show me the friendship of a brother, the attention of a brother, the gallantry of a monarch, will you not? I will preserve for you intact a heart that has already become accustomed to beat only at your command. Very well. Do you not see that we have guaranteed the future by this means? I hope so. Will your mother cease to regard me as an enemy? Yes. Will Maria Teresa leave off speaking in Spanish before Monsieur, who has a horror of conversation held in foreign languages, because he always thinks he is being ill-spoken of? And lastly, continued the princess, will people persist in attributing a wrongful affection to the king when the truth is we can offer nothing to each other except absolute sympathy, free from mental reservation. Yes, yes, said the king, hesitatingly, but other things may still be said of us. What can be said, sire? Shall we never be left in tranquillity? People will say I am deficient in taste, but what is my self-respect in comparison with your tranquillity? In comparison with my honor, sire, and that of our family, you mean. Besides, I beg you to attend... Do not be so hastily prejudiced against La Valier. She is slightly lame, it is true, but she is not deficient in good sense. Moreover, all that the king touches is converted into gold. Well, madame, rest assured of one thing, namely that I am still grateful to you. You might even yet make me pay dearer for your stay in France. Sire, someone approaches. Well, one last word. Say it. You are prudent and judicious, sire, but in the present instance you will be obliged to summon to your aid all your prudence and all your judgment. Oh! exclaimed Louise, laughing, from this very day I shall begin to act my part, and you shall see whether I am not quite fit to represent the character of a tender swain. After luncheon there will be a promenade in the forest, and then there is supper and the ballet at ten o'clock. I know it. The ardor of my passions shall blaze more brilliantly than the fireworks, shall shine more steadily than our friend Colbert's lamps. It shall shine so dazzlingly that the queens and monsieur will be almost blinded by it. Take care, sire, take care. In heaven's name, what have I done, then? I shall begin to recall the compliments I paid you just now. You prudent, you wise, did I say? Why, you begin by the most reckless inconsistencies. Can a passion be kindled in this manner, like a torch, in a moment? Can a monarch, such as you are, without any preparation, fall at the feet of a girl like La Vallier? Ah, Henrietta, now I understand you. We have not yet begun the campaign, and you are plundering me already. No, I am only recalling you to common-sense ideas. Let your passion be kindled gradually, instead of allowing it to burst forth so suddenly. Jove's thunders and lightnings are heard and seen before the palace is set on fire. Everything has its commencements. If you are so easily excited, no one will believe you are really captivated, and everyone will think you out of your senses, if even, indeed, the truth itself not be guessed. The public is not so fatuous as they seem. The king was obliged to admit that Madame was an angel for sense, and the very reverse for cleverness. He bowed and said, Agreed, Madame, I will think over my plan of attack. Great military men, my cousin de Condé, for instance, grow pale in meditation upon their strategical plans, 
before they move one of their pawns, which people call armies. I therefore wish to draw up a complete plan of campaign, for you know that the tender passion is subdivided in a variety of ways. Well, then I shall stop at the village of little attentions, at the hamlet of love letters, before I follow the road of visible affection. The way is clear enough, you know, and poor Madame de Scuderet would never forgive me for passing through a halting place without stopping. Oh, now we have returned to our proper senses. Shall we say adieu, sire? Alas, it must be so, for see, we are interrupted. Yes, indeed, said Henrietta. They are bringing Mademoiselle de Tonnay-Cheant and her sphinx butterfly and grand procession this way. It is perfectly well understood that this evening, during the promenade, I am to make my escape into the forest and find La Vallier without you. I will take care to send her away. Very well. I will speak to her when she is with her companions, and I will then discharge my first arrow at her. Be skillful, said Madame, laughing, and do not miss the heart. Then the princess took leave of the king, and went forward to meet the merry troop, which was advancing with much ceremony, and a great many pretended flourishes of trumpets imitated with their mouths. End of chapter 38 What was caught after the butterflies? Recording by Bill Neeland